0: Let's talk to Brother Andre Marie. He is now there with us from the St. Benedict Center Live for Wisdom Wednesday. Uh, Brother Andre, a blessed feast
1: of St. Ignatius of Antioch to you. And the same to you, Mike. Am I coming through? Perfectly. Grand. grand. I love your
0: use of the word grand. We need to bring grand back into our... I think of grand, I think of biscuits. <laughs>
1: Kills Some people married. think of
0: $1,000. <laughs> well, that's mobster talk, brother. That's a G-note. <laughs> G-note, C-note we get from uh, uh, 1930s-era gangsters. Anyway, uh, grand that you are with us. Uh, how's the weather in New Hampshire?
1: The weather in New Hampshire is uh, bright and shiny and cold. It was uh, 10 degrees this morning when I was in the car on the way to Holy Mass. 10. Ten. Ten. Now, you missed it because I was talking about
0: uh, getting people to volunteer for the 2023 Congress. <laughs> I was telling the story about you people don't understand when you put an event like like this on, what goes into it? And I said, ask Brother Andre about it if you ever get a, a private conversation with him. He'll tell you that there would be no St. Benedict Center Conference if there was no Russell LaPlume. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. You and, can't do this.
0: Brother could not do this. The brothers and sisters could not organize this and put it on. It's it, they they couldn't do it.
1: Well, we've done it in the past. It's it, it it's it's not um I mean it's not impossible, it's just that there's an awful lot of other work to do. Yeah. So we, 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 we do that other stuff. But no, it's 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 enormous. And even though ours is fairly small, it's on our own venue and we don't, we're not we we used to do one in a hotel in Fitchburg and that was an enormous operation. Um we got more people at it, but uh, we, we, the thing always lost money because uh, seriously, we, it, actually, all, it never made money and it and I ne- never ended up in the black either. Um, so uh, it, it was really difficult to keep going with that one, but it got a lot more people, but the venue was just expensive. I mean, everything's expensive. So I understand when you're doing it at some other venue, um, And and I was kind of laughing to myself when you were talking about how people seemed I don't want to see you calling people fickle, but people seemed inconsistent about what their preferred dates were. I mean, when you put on an organi- when you put on an event, and you announce a date, it's like growing facial hair. Everyone will let you know their opinion immediately. <laughs> And, uh, and and you'll get conflicting from inform- you'll get conflicting dating You're like, Oh, okay, well I guess people want it this way, and then you change it to something else and then you get a whole other group of people who tell you how horrible that is. So
0: uh, picking um, a date for event brother is a Kobayashi Maru from Star Trek.
1: <laughs> it's a okay, no get win it, situation.
0: I see. You can't win. So if you want to if you want to beat the Kobayashi Maru, you have to go into where the test is uh, is administered in the computer, and you have to change the parameters.
1: <laughs> I see. And okay. James T.
0: Kirk was the only one that ever beat it because he went and changed the parameters <laughs> so he could beat the test. All right, let's do some Wisdom Wednesday stuff here. I I, I want to start off with, and I didn't prep you for this, but you will be able to feel this easily. And I generally. Uh, I think it marries, it meshes very nicely with your topic uh, that you just wrote about um, uh, at Catholicism.org, which is the Church of History. So I think that this is a, is a good way to get into it. This past Sunday, the in the old rite of Mass, the Gospel was from uh, the Gospel according to Saint Matthew, chapter eight, and it was about the the apostles being in the boat with our Lord. And behold, a great, and and when he entered the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, a great tempest arose in the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves, but he was asleep. And they came to him and awakened him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And Jesus saith to them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then rising up, he commanded the winds and the sea, and there came a great calm. But the men wondered, saying, What manner of man is this? For the winds and the sea, obey him. Now, Father Damien said something about this particular gospel that I had not heard before, and I went. Mitch Chur and I both went. We we we, we 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 talked about it afterwards because I thought it was uh, uh, it was a great point, and I think it it it, it marries, like I say, it meshes very well with your article. And he said. When we hear from other people that there is not one, that you're not the one true holy Catholic and apostolic, there's not one church, he goes, this is a great gospel to use to, 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 to say, yes, it is. How many boats? He goes, what is, the, he goes, first of all, he goes, in, in, what is the boat? What does the boat represent? And Father Damien says it represents the church. How many boats did they get into? How many boats are there? There's one. And then he did a wonderful little homily on it, and uh, it was just, it's good to hear these things from time to time, especially for those that have not been three decades or four decades or their whole life in sacred tradition. So, brother, I think that that uh, is a good jumping-off place for your article uh, or entry point for your article about the, the Church of History. Which you say of all the churches calling themselves christian can any one of them irrefutably claim to be the church founded by jesus christ well i think you
1: can answer that question can't you hmm. yes <laughs> yes the answer is yes <laughs> uh, the, okay but, show's over <laughs> yes yeah, t- talking about so so you know the the, the um the whole boat thing uh it, there's, there's a couple times where, where boats are significantly enter in right so the, the two miraculous Drafts of fishes, one before, well before, and one after our Lord's resurrection, uh, or I should say, one before, before, one before the passion, and the other one after the resurrection. Okay. Uh, And uh, you know we have we have significance of the apostles being fishers of men, and we also have the. you know, the the true event, but one which is kind of parabolic in nature as well, because it serves as a parable, too, of our Lord getting in the boat that was recounted in St. Matthew's Gospel, as you said, this Sunday, uh, where the, um, the, the winds are blowing around, the waves are coming in the boat, and Jesus is asleep. And the apostles uh, wake him and say, uh, Lord, save us, for we perish. Uh, the, the this is all this has long been interpreted by fathers of the church as as a reference to Saint uh, Peter's uh, bark, uh, the church itself, uh, and uh, it's going through the the uh, turbulent waters of this world. And Jesus is in it, and sometimes he appears asleep, and sometimes it appears that he's indifferent to our sufferings and to our uh, the, the the travails that the church is going through as she. Makes her way from uh, her foundation to the safe port of eternity, right? Uh, but of course, he is awake. He knows exactly what's going on. He has his eye on the whole situation, and we have to trust. Uh, because when our, notice when our Lord woke up, he rebuked them. That's right, right. He re, he, re, he rebuked them. But what's well, another interesting thing about this? And it, that, that struck me this this Sunday for some strange reason. I had never noticed this before. But it said that Jesus got into the boat and that his disciples followed him. Mm. And that word followed just kind of leapt off the page at me this time. I never really noticed it or never really um, ruminated on it, so to speak. And the reason why I found it to be so significant is probably because I was reading something about St. something that Saint Thomas Aquinas. I'm reading this long book biography of St. Thomas Aquinas. It's sort of like an intellectual history of St. Thomas uh, written by a, a French Dominican. And uh, as I'm, I, I was in the part recently where he's talking about St. Thomas's robust defense of the mendicant orders and the religious life in general. And he St. Thomas talks about the essence of religious life being the sequela Christi, the following of Christ, and how the counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience are there to help in the following of Christ. They, 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 they don't form its, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, essence, but they are there to help us in the following of Christ. I had been thinking a lot about this concept of following Christ and what that means. And when therefore when I saw the word they and they followed him. They followed him into the boat. And then what happened? Danger, right? Right. They followed Christ and how how were they initially rewarded? Battering waves and winds and 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 fear and oh no we're gonna drown and, uh, and then they wake him up, and he rebukes them for a la- lacking faith. And then, of course, he, he says, and one of the other evangelists quotes him saying, tache obmuteshe, shut up, be at peace. You know, he's, he's calming <laughs> the, the winds and the storm. And then, of course, St. Matthew tells us. And then there became came a great calm. He didn't say there was it calmed, it calmed down eventually. He it said, and then there was a great calm. So we can picture the seas going from these roaring, raging, boiling, you know, gonna gonna sink the ship type conditions to you know smooth as glass, and the sun comes out, and you know the the seagulls are out flying around like nothing happened. Um, and so we understand that when we follow Christ, he's going to allow us to go through all sorts of perils. And uh, as we go through there, though, he's got his eye on us every moment. Okay, he, we're in the hands of the Father at every moment. I, I realize this isn't the apologetics thing that, that you were uh, setting me up for, but I just I, I think we need to know in these present times when things seem so nutty. And it's not just that the church is getting battered from outside. Now we've got people inside, including you know, people who should be have their hands sturdily on on the on the steering wheel of the of the ship or whatever you call the thing, um, who instead seem to be trying to saw the rudder off and and drill holes in the deck and shoot holes in the main sails and all this stuff. I mean, we've we've got um, Catholics, including clerics, including uh those very high up in the church who seem to be doing their best to sink the ship but we know that it's unsinkable it's 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 it's, it's not the titanic it's it actually is unsinkable um, and we're going to make it to, to safe harbor right so uh but the apologetical lesson uh, is today is feast of saint ignatius of 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 antioch uh, who died in the year 107 and his whole uh Life and his witness, and especially his writings, are a testimony to the faith of the early church. He was only the third bishop of Antioch after Saint Peter. So, so there was Saint Peter, then there was another man, then then there was Saint Ignatius of Antioch. He he knew Saint Polycarp, <clears throat> a disciple, a direct disciple of Saint John the Evangelist. I was going
0: to say, if you don't know who Saint Polycarp is, he knew he w- was studied under basically. St. John the Evangelist. By the way, Brother Andre, in your town of your birth at uh, at the uh, the church today of Our Lady of Prompt Sucker where the Ursulines are, they have a massive reliquary collection there. And one of the uh, the feature pieces, I don't know if you ever got to go there when you was a little children's, one of the feature relics there is a very large bone of St. Antioch, uh, or St. Ignatius of Antioch. I've touched mm-hmm. rosaries to it I've seen it with my own I think yes. I have a I think I have a picture of it, as a matter of fact it's it's quite it's quite impressive when you see the collection but that is the centerpiece that they built all the other reliquaries around
1: nice yeah yeah he, he <laughs> yeah he was arrested in Antioch I think it was during the persecution of Trajan and when he was arrested they apparently he was the only one arrested locally during some outbreak of the persecution locally and you know, people have this wrong idea of the of the uh, pr- early persecutions. It's not like they were randomly rounding up every Christian and bringing them to, you know, to, to the amphitheaters or whatever. Uh, and the and the persecutions differed from one to another as far as how far-reaching they went. And usually, especially in the earlier ones, and this was an early one, uh, they the the tendency was to arrest the leaders and not to go after necessarily um, your common members of, of the church your your, your, your your average faithful but what they what they did was they, they arrested him and he went on and he, they sent him to Rome to undergo his sentence of death and he, when he was traveling to Rome he traveled through all these different cities of, of Asia and Asia Minor and then eventually um, he gets to Rome but he wrote letters to various people and he met people he met Saint Polycarp in person in Smyrna on the way. Wow. Um, and then later on, he wrote a letter to St. Polycarp, and that's one of his letters that we had. He wrote a letter to the Smyrnians. He wrote a letter to the Romans ahead of his um, arrival in the city. Um, he also wrote letters to the uh, Philadelphians, uh, and it, 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 people that we don't, and, and the Ephesians, of course, who received an epistle from St. Saint, Saint Paul. Uh, the Magnesians, the Tralians, uh, and that's it. Now he, he ends up uh, landing on the, the the shore of Durazzo on the Adriatic and then being um, through Th- from Thessalonica, first Thessalonica, and then, and then he ends up in the city on the Adriatic I guess in what we would now call, um, yeah okay so that's on the coast of Italy I suppose, and then from there he's brought to Rome And several things. So in his epistles, he gives witness to the primacy of the Roman see. And he wrote to the Romans, and he's he's praising them for their faith and everything, and he mentions to them that they have the first place in the community of love. He says this, "Um, You are a church worthy of God, worthy of honor, felicitation, and praise, worthy of attaining of God, a church without blemish, which holds the primacy in the community of love. Uh, and of course, the community of love is a perfect a perfectly apt description of right, the church. Right. It's, not, it's not exhaustive, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but it, it this is this is what he's how he's describing the church. and um and, and he starts by saying, Ignatius uh, Theophorus to the church in the place of the country of the Romans, which holds the primacy. Wh- what's significant is that he he's telling them that they hold the primacy twice in this short excerpt. And he's from the Sea of Antioch. Now, as the Bishop of Antioch, he was the successor of St. Peter. Because St. Peter had set up his apostolic chair in Antioch before he went to Rome. Yet here he is saying that Rome, so he's the Bishop of no mean city. Antioch was in some podunk town in uh, in Syria. By mean, he means
0: average, not angry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, some people go going. Why are you calling it a city? Mean, uh, average, average. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he he, he was. Uh, I, I'm actually borrowing from Saint Paul, who said he he was from Tarsus and he no mean city. Mm. Um, mm. It's a good source. So, <laughs> so he was. He was from. Um, you know, Antioch and Alexandria were, long, and this was long before Constantinople was even even existed as Constantinople. It was a fairly um, obscure place known as Byzantium. I think at this time, it was still obscure until Constantine took it and turned it into Constantinople. Until very when humbly it re- named. It naming it after himself. And what you call today for people that don't know? Uh well the, the song tells us it's Istanbul not Constantinople. Istanbul, correct? Uh uh and that's nobody's business but the Turks. <laughs> 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 um, so, <laughs> I get it. I just got I get it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So if you if you um though l- l- consider that Alexandria and Antioch were the two most prominent uh, cities of of learning, as well as specifically of Christian learning and the two most important seas in the East, uh, then his his writing to the Romans saying how they hold the primacy is very significant. It sort of leaps out in relief from that uh, that, uh, historical background there. Uh, another, another truth that he gives witness to that's uniquely Catholic is, is doctrines concerning the Eucharist. Um, he writes to the Smyrnians uh, that uh, he's critical, so in writing to the Smyrnians, again this is the city where St. Polycarp is the bishop. He writes uh, that the Gnostic heretics have no regard for the sacrament of the Eucharist because, quote, they abstain from the Eucharist and from prayer because they do not confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior Jesus Christ who suffered for our sins and whom in his goodness the Father raised up, end quote. Um, He also refers to the Eucharist as a sacrifice because writing to the Philadelphians Um, obviously not the ones in Pennsylvania, Um, he writes this, Be careful to observe one Eucharist, for there is only one flesh of our Lord Jesus Christ and one cup of union with his blood, one altar of sacrifice, as there is one bishop with the presbyters and my fellow servers, the deacon. Of course, presbyters, presbyteros is the word in Greek that comes into German as priester, which comes into English as priest. So a presbyter is a priest, and it's and it's it, you know of course it's the basis of the word presbyterian, and it's it does a history to why they're named that. Uh, but uh, it has more to do with ecclesiastical governance than it does their belief in the idea of the priesthood. But um, the the he's talking about the, the the these three ranks of clerics: the bishops, the priests, and uh, and the deacons. And he says, "My fellow servants, the deacons," because he's playing off of the literal meaning of the word diakonos in Greek, which is uh, s- servant or minister. Um, so yeah, the, so there you go. He's, he's professing belief, and I, I didn't quote the one that he written to the Romans, where he says, I take no pleasure in corruptible food or in the delights of this life. I want the bread of God, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ, who is the seed of David. And as drink, I want his blood, which is incorruptible love. So we have here tremendous or several tremendous professions of faith in three different epistles to the Romans, to the Philadelphians, and to the Smyrnians talking about um, the clearly Catholic ideas concerning the Eucharist being the literal flesh <coughs> and blood of Jesus Christ. But the start of the, uh,
0: the, the article is um, uh, 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 Catholicism.org is the church of history And as we get into this, uh, is there a church of history? Um, uh, You wrote, knowing there is only one true church of Christ, we proceed to our next point. This church is an historical reality. Now, I think this is where um, the the, the historical part of it, which you just gave us some, some, you could consider that historical. But the historical part of it, because we're dealing with a saint who died in the year 107, we're not talking about generations of generations of uh, supposed corruption by uh, uh, by by the Catholics who took the original idea and then ran with it, then got corrupted, then ruined everything, uh, as 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 the uh, as the urban legend goes. Here, you're talking about an actual history. Is there a history like we had the history of how did the Constitution of the United States come about? Well, I wrote a couple of movies about. It. I can tell you extant. There, there survives today the bits and pieces that, that we need to know. So there is a history of this. It is historical to say it. So it's not just, I mean, you, you, you can't say it, and we do as a, as a profession of faith, because in the creed, what do we believe in? One holy Catholic and apostolic church, right? That's right. We, and we say it in the creed. People take the creed for granted. Don't take the, Brother Francis said, do not take the creed for granted. There are 12 statements in the creed. 12? Well, that's a number I've heard before. And those 12 states are that there is a, uh, that there is uh, in the Apostles' Creed, they believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, life everlasting. The, ladies and gentlemen, we bring this stuff on Wisdom Wednesday to. Illuminate the faith, and to give and for those of you that may not plumb the depths of it, this stuff matters. It's important, and once you you know you kind of internalize it, and you go like, yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense. It makes logical sense. If it makes historical sense, then what exactly is the objection here? Now, of course, we know that the objection. Has has become very popular today, and that there are even Catholics that may not even believe one true holy, the four marks of the church. By the way, there was a conference that was held a couple years ago at the St. Benedict Center on the four marks of the church. I noticed because I was part of it. And I'm pretty sure you can get all those talks as videos and audio at in the store, right? StoreCatholicism.org. So if you have any questions about it, there's an extra, there's a whole weekend that we talked
1: about it. Yeah, that's right. We did talk about the four marks that year.
0: So this is a, a, uh, go read Brother's article here today at Catholicism.org. This is from 2005
1: you posted this. And actually the article is much uh, uh, older than that because, well, it was older than that, um, possibly by a decade, uh, because it it was originally in our magazine, and I ended up uh, turning it into uh, something on our website later.
0: Um, and I just, uh, Brother Andre, of course, is the host of Reconquest, a brand new episode's debut every Wednesday night here. You can get all of them at crusadechannel.com. We'll talk a little bit about tonight's particular episode. Uh, Brother, also this Sunday we uh, celebrated, and this is something that I, because uh, I, I love and I have a daily devotion, I asked St. Francis uh, de Sales uh, for a little guidance. He's one of the patron saints of the Catholic presses and of Catholic media, because, you know, he was so prolific in converting all those Calvinists back to the faith, and he was writing. I mean, I mean, the man was a machine. Um, that St. Uh, uh, Francis um, uh, de Sales this past Sunday, he's one of those rare saints whose feast day is not celebrated on the day he died, because he died on this feast of St. John the Evangelist. And obviously the church is not going to put that in, but the, the church wanted him to be in Christmastide, and so put it on uh, January uh, the 29th um, for those that are interested uh, 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 about uh, d- d- kind of the state the state that the the church is in today and uh, you know well well we're about the th- 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 the sheer numbers of opponents, if you will, and, and the, uh, the the various uh, uh, Protestant denominations and, and what have you. It's interesting to note, if you read biographies of St. Francis de Sales, that even though a couple of Calvinists did try and kill him, 70,000, 70 plus thousand of them ultimately converted back to the faith, and it is written by the people that knew him as their spiritual father, I forget who wrote, uh, the brother that actually wrote the book, he was loved by most of the people in his diocese in Geneva. Even the Calvinists, because he was so kind and he was so meek. And he was a very well-loved Catholic by people who weren't Catholic, I think is, is, is the point.
1: And don't forget that Geneva was the center of the sort of pseudo-theocracy that was set up by John Calvin uh, when, he, when he began his, uh, his sect. Uh, and uh, so he was in the sort of the belly of the Calvinist beast. Uh, and, uh, and even then, I mean, he, he, first of all, he was a man who was of choleric temperament, St. Francis of Sales, very choleric, and he, he, he easily inclined, therefore, to anger, which is something that's part of the choleric temperament. You and I wouldn't know anything about this, Mike, I'm sure. Yeah. But, uh, no, but I know nothing. I'm, I'm Sergeant no, Schultz. I know nothing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Mike, you're sure. like Mr. Phlegmatic. We have to poke you just to make sure you're alive. Yeah. Uh, but Not. but, it, 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 all seriousness aside here, um, the uh, the he overcame himself. I mean, he did gentle violence on himself to overcome the the difficulties of the choleric temperament. And he's known as the gentleman saint in certain circles. Um, It's no accident that he's the, the, the one of the, he's sort of the principal patron I mean, sort of, he's the principal patron among other patrons, including Saint Benedict, of the Institute of Christ the King. And I think of of all the priestly communities out there that I am aware of, this is the one whose men are are, are known in a sense to be most gentlemanly. I'm not I'm not detracting from the gentlemanliness of any other individuals, but as a as a community, they seem to really form themselves into gentlemen, um, and it, it it can be very edifying. Um, so, you know, you're Canon Moreau. I was going to you know, say as an uh, example, who does he, not
0: love Canon Moreau? <laughs>
1: and, and he's a tough guy. He spent 13 years in, in a, a very difficult mission in Africa. He sure did. So, you, you know, it's not like they're spoiled gentlemen, uh, but they cultivate the, the, the kind of virtues and the kind of um, uh, manners of a gentleman. And don't forget, manners aren't inconsequential. Manners are the safeguards of morals just as morals is the safeguard of the life of grace. Um, and when we look at Saint Francis of Sales, we see that he co- he conquered his his choler, extreme choleric temperament, and he became known to be as being particularly mild. And he was very gentle, and he was very uh, polite, and he was very uh, he, he he wouldn't let himself get angry. And it was uh, an edification to those around him, especially when they saw him. In very difficult circumstances, where he would be inclined to, you know, pop where, where where most of us would just sort of not resist popping off at the person who was um, making a nuisance of himself, but Saint Francis of Sales bore all these things with great patience and gentleness and meekness, and uh, he ended up winning over people who were his enemies. So. That is um, th- 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 This is a great virtue that we can learn from him: authentic Christian meekness.
0: Yeah, I want to tell a quick story, then I want to move on about Saint Francis. So if you read the the book, I think it's called "The Spirit of Saint Francis," uh, and it's a kind of a biography written by one of the uh, the brothers who was his un, who, who 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 served under, if you will, Saint Francis of Sales. Uh, there's a story that he retold in the book. Where one of the men that wanted to kill him um, went to the church, and he was following him around, and he noticed that on certain uh, uh, nights, St. Francis would, at the end of his, his ritual, his prayer ritual or whatever, whatever in his rectory, or, or maybe he was out visiting or whatever he was doing, that he would go into the church late and go by himself, and there was no one else in there. And he thought that this would be a good opportunity for him to, to lie in wait for him, uh, so that he could uh, undertake his evil. And so he did. And he hid. He hid in a shadow and somewhere in the sanctuary. And Saint Francis de Sales, or the Bishop of Geneva at that time, comes in as he as he always did by himself, and there's no one in there. Dim light. And what does Saint Francis de Sales? What does Saint Francis de Sales do? He goes to the community. He goes in front of the altar. And he gets to the front of the altar, drops to his knees, makes the last couple steps on his knees, and then just stays there in the orans position, just adoring the Blessed Sacrament and Our Lord Crucified uh, 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 hanging over the altar there, and is just you know he's in a he's in an ecstasy of sort. Um, And there's no one to watch this is the point. And so the, the man is so overtaken with well why is he doing this? These Catholics only do this stuff in public to show off. And, to, you know, to make it look like they, they really believe. They don't have the real faith. I have the real faith. And so the man was so taken aback by it that he couldn't commit the crime. And he waited for St. Francis to leave. And when he did, he snuck out. And, of course, he became, he, he immediately converted back to the faith.
1: Hmm. And, it's, yeah, and it's a, There's so many edifying stories about St. Uh, about Francis of Sales. Um, if, we, if we can get back to St. Ignatius uh, uh, briefly, sure. Y- you mentioned the four marks, one holy Catholic and apostolic. It's It, it shouldn't go unsaid today on this his feast that he, he was the Bishop of Antioch, right? Antioch, we know from St. Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, was the place where the disciples of Christ were, quote, first called Christians. So the... The word Christian wasn't used in Christ's time. Mm. He didn't say, yeah, you're going to be Christians after me, you know. Uh, like St. Dominic didn't name his order the Dominicans and St. Francis the Franciscans. He didn't. Jesus didn't use the word Christian, uh, and the and, and his apostles didn't, at least not early on. St. Luke specifically tells us that in Antioch, this is the first time where they were known as Christians, and it wouldn't doesn't say it, that it was the non-Christians who said those are the Christians. They just took the name of Christ and and, and turned it into a descriptive term for other people who followed him. Um, Saint Ignatius, bishop of that same city, is the first one that we know of in writing to use the term Catholic. Wow, okay. And the, the, the context of it is significant because he's writing against heretics and he's making the point that the heretics, like various Gnostic sects, and there were do- probably dozens or if not hundreds of Gnostic sects, um, these these various sects, and the Ebionites, whom I think he also wrote against, and uh, other, other heretical groups and schismatics, they're present in this city, that city, this town, that town, whatever, spread apart, not connected, not, not a uh, a universal church he says i belong not to one of those but to the catholic church and what he's saying is the the, the church that's uh the, the whole in 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 different parts all around the world it's the it's the one that is undivided and universal. So many, many people translate the word "catholicos" in Greek to mean universal. So this is what we mean by Catholic. And if people say, well, yeah, he was just using a descriptive term, he wasn't giving it a proper name. Well, it gets a proper name later on to be distinguished from these other sects. About uh, the one true church, the Church Catholic, we, we we give it. I mean, the father. It was the Fathers of Nicaea who, in crafting the Creed, said one holy, catholic, and apostolic. They wanted to say, well, th- these are the marks. These are the d- these are the descriptive marks, the undeniable attributes of the Church that Jesus Christ established. It's one. It's holy. It's catholic meaning universal, and apostolic. So wherever the Apostles went, there the Catholic Church was present. It's it's am- amazing that even among schismatic sects that broke off subsequent to say the Council of Nicaea or the Council of Ephesus or Chalcedon, um, all of these places where the Apostles were and where the Church was established early on, they all have seven sacraments, they all have priests, they all have bishops. They all have devotion to the Mother of God. They all have devotion to the martyrs and to the other saints, and 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 and, and they all have the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Yep. I mean, a Protestant would be would be hard put uh, to uh, show the apostolicity and catholicity and universality and antiquity of his religion, and and that was the main thrust of my writing this this article, the Church of History, because. If the church that Jesus Christ established, if we can save the church of Jesus Christ established, what he himself said, that is, I am with you all days. So he, t- he tells them, he says, preach to all nations, tell them all things that I have told you, um, all men, right? right. And um, behold, I am with you all days, even into the consummation of the world. So he uses all four times in this statement, uh, just before he ascends into heaven, and he's sending them out to the four corners of the Earth. If what he said then is true and not a lie uh, like the Mormons think it's a lie, because they think that the true church stopped, it ceased with the death of, Saint, Saint, of, of the Apostolic fathers, and that it wasn't until, you know Joseph Smith gets the, gets the freaky glasses and can read the crazy tablets, <laughs> that uh, the true church sort of comes back to Earth, hidden in the Adirondacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, New York. No, just kidding. Um, so, so he ends up, uh, our Lord ends up making this promise, and wh- and wh- and what do we have? Well, if he made the promise, and if he really is the Son of God, if he really is who he said he was, if he really resurrected, then we can probably believe that promise and not think that it's a lie. So where is the church through history? So there has to be a, a way to see it. It's a city seated on a hill. It's not hidden.
0: Yeah, I, uh, uh, and, and by the way, you know who did the, uh, the signal task of doing the greatest, through comedy, uh, takedown of, of just refutation of Mormonism? The creators of South Park. Mm. They did it on Broadway. It's called A Book of Mormon. It's hysterical. Uh, and I want to say that it won Tony Awards. Uh, uh, But, I mean, (laughs) oh, there's a book. Yeah, but I can't read it. Oh, there's glasses. Now I can. <laughs> I mean, oh, wow. Oh, it's hysterical. They did a couple of South Park episodes. Of no, don't go looking for it because it's it, not your cup of tea, brother Andre.
1: Uh, we're uh, no, to- I know. I've heard of it, and I <laughs> believe me, I have no interest in South Park.
0: Okay, uh, brother Andre, and Reeves St. Benedict Center host of Reconquest here on the Crusade Channel, and uh, uh, our regular on Wisdom Wednesday when he cannot make it, we have David Simpson and others uh, to fill in. Brother, I don't know you. Uh, do you need to go? Because it's quarter past. And if you do, that's fine. Um, and if you don't, then I have one more thing for you. Then, uh, I'll Steve Jobs you. But there's one more thing.
1: <laughs> well, why don't we do the one more thing real quick? Because uh, I I'm, I'm I still am sentimentally attached to Steve Jobs. Okay. One more thing.
0: Um, so com does the signal task of republishing Technological Security as a Problem of Social Ethics by Joseph Ratz- Ratzinger. Published in a periodical called Communio, International Catholic Review, in the fall of 1982.
1: So, as a, a student. That, that, that was a soft core modernist journal, by the way.
0: Okay, oh, okay. Um, I didn't know that. But no. as a student of your mentor, and he's mine as well, of uh, Brother Francis, as I'm reading Cardinal Ratzinger, I am uh, I am hearing, in some parts of this, I'm hearing Brother Francis. And I'm hearing Brother Francis warn all of us just so magnificently in this essay that I know you can still find at Catholicism.org about the dangers of scientism. Uh. And, of course, Brother Francis would know this, not because he was a great brother or he was uh, a holy man. Well, he did know it because of that. But because Brother Francis... Was a physicist, and he was one of the most brilliant mathematicians of his era. I mean, I mean, he was genius, pure genius. So, if anyone would have known, he's like Dr. Wolfgang Smith. If anyone would have known about science and then the false religion of scientism, it would have been your mentor and mine, Brother Francis. And he wrote about it. So, I, as I'm reading Cardinal Ratzinger about this with the ethics, I, I, just, I mean, because he, he covers the. I don't know if you got a chance to read or Maybe you read it previously. When he's writing about the ethics, you know, this is good stuff. This is true. This is good. But in 1982, then Cardinal Ratzinger, one year after Bill Gates comes out with the DOS system, Cardinal Ratzinger is saying, hey, wait a minute. No one is asking the question with all of this technology that we have. Because you can't, can do is it doesn't mean you should and you're replacing this devotion that because it's there we must move forward, and you're removing faith, doctrine, and morals from the equation. Thus ethics. And I just think it's worthy. It's it, it's it's a good read. But if you want to continued reading, read Brother Francis's uh, essay. No, was that from shouted from from the uh, from the rooftops, or did he just write that
1: uh, a cappella? The, the article on scientism. Yes. Uh, he, that was actually in from the housetops in the early days of from the housetops when it was uh, published in uh, Cambridge. Yeah. Okay. Now
0: note. Did, did you hear that? It was published at Cambridge.
1: <laughs> I said Cambridge. I uh, I meant. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, wow. Uh, it was Harvard. Harvard, Massachusetts. What's the What's the um, What's the town? What's the city where Harvard is? Oh um, uh, well, Harvard is in Cambridge. Okay, I've got it right then. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I'm, I'm here now confusing. Is Cambridge University, did I actually say Cambridge University? No, okay.
0: Yeah, it's Harvard, yeah. Yeah, Harvard, Malfoy. So, Harvard. Um, and uh, there, there's a couple of sections in this, um, but I, uh, I, I think that, uh, that both men have something to contribute, and, and we can learn from this still today. Uh, when someone says, follow the science, they're not telling you to follow the scientia. They're not telling you to follow the science. They're telling you to follow their narrative. They're, they're, oh, yeah. yeah, they're not telling, and this is what, and people, I, I want it, it, listeners to know.
1: Dr. Fauci gave it away when he said, I basically, you know, le science c'est moi, you know, <laughs> I am science. Right, I am the science. <laughs> when they attack me, they're attacking science. That's right. what he said. He said, that when they attack me, they, they attack science. That's, that's saying Fauci equals science. And that was the, the absolute height of hubris. No, it was, and,
0: but I want listeners and, and viewers and readers to, to, uh, to be able to fully, when you're confronted with this, because people are going to say, no, I follow the science, you, we'd help you to have in your arsenal knowledge that that's not science, and even if you were, all things science do not give permission slips for them to be done in the name of science. Like Brother Francis asked the question about the atom bomb and about the creation of the atom bomb. Just because you could make one didn't mean didn't mean that you know, that you should. That ethically speaking, you know, there's a great argument to be uh, to be made on this. By the way, uh, the, uh, what was it, Brother, in the 11th or 12th century, that the, that the Church comes out and says, okay, no crossbows can be used in battles. Is, yeah, yeah, and that now people go like, "Well,
1: why would except they- against the Muslims?"
0: Except against the Muslims. and people go like, "Well, why would they do that?" Why, 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 why? because it was too easy to kill. It made killing almost like it was a sport, and the church saw this language. This isn't good, uh, and and so it had a it it it, it and it it taught. Okay, it did what it does. Um, and what Cardinal Ratzinger's point is here, as he's looking at do- at the, uh, the the rise of the computer and the machine and the machine and what have you here. He says, um, you know, he, 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 you could take this argument, and Brother and I have talked about this several times on Wisdom Wednesday. You could take this argument at, uh, about ethics, and you could take it all the way back to Newton or to Galileo, and you will find at every step of the way, no matter what it is that's being discussed, number one, you have been lied to. Protestants and other enemies of the church have lied. Of our Lord have lied to you. The church is not opposed to science. By definition, she's not opposed to science. And by the way, what is the queen of the sciences, brother Andre? Theology. Theology. So there's a you, you, that's not a science. That's opinion. It's not opinion. T- teos, God. It's not an opinion. You know, we get these studies from our study and our acknowledgement of reality. In the natural world. The church could never oppose things that happen naturally. And she doesn't. And she doesn't oppose people learning from nature and through natural processes. But she always says though, brother, when you see this natural process and you wonder at it, and then you marvel at it and you and you harness it, remember that it is it came that it didn't create itself. There was a supernatural, there was a creator of it. And that's what she does. She guides men back that, yes, you can explore this science, but remember who the creator is. Don't abuse it. So, um, 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 you teach ethics. I don't. I've only taken the course. and I, uh, I, I. But I just, I like playing that bug into people's, or that thought into people's minds, that ethics still matter. And what the Catholic Church says about matters of, of science, if she proclaims on, like, it's always, you know, the modernist brother always, they want to quote post. A uh, Pius the twelfth, and they want to say he said that evolution is a real deal. He said that the that, 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 that evolutionists have a point. That's not what he said. What he said was you can explore it, right? Isn't that what he said? He said you. He, he wrote that you can you can study it. He did not proclaim or pronounce that evolution as Darwin and the rest of the evolutionists, um, anti creationists. Uh, are, are pronounced on it. That is, that's just one. Exi- are you talking about
1: J. J- P. Two? I thought it was uh, Pius the Twelfth. There was an encyclical. that because okay, there, there was something that J. P. Two said too. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Pius the Twelfth opened up the door to a lot of things. Yes, um, but uh, you know, he he didn't he didn't he didn't condemn it, and he didn't, you know, uh, in in this case, I think he was talking about specifically the long ages of the world that yes. that the uh, evolutionists talk about. Um, so it's it's sorry, I was a little distracted because I was s- sending a link and, and explaining what it was to Russophile <laughs> in the chat room. Um, it's it's bad when you give somebody like me two things to do at once. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm uh, infected it, by that too. I had that disease. It's a te- <laughs> it's it's um, yeah, I mean, Pius XII did did uh, make unfortunate statements about the billions of years of the fiat of creation. Uh, so uh, I don't, uh, you know, but what he was doing was basically saying, look, these are questions that can be studied. There's a legitimate inquiry here. And of course, the legitimate inquiry has been done. And I, to my thinking uh, and to many other people's thinking and people who know way more about science than I do, uh, the, these theories have been um, tried and found wanting. Uh, so, I mean, it's about time the church just comes out and says, okay, you know, we've got enough scientific evidence here that if we really truly, quote, follow the science, we know that uh, Darwinism is bunk, and it's, and it's been debunked uh, numerous times. And then the billions and billions
0: and billions, as Carl Sagan would uh, make famous, these billions of years, you don't have to have any evidence for this. You just say that it happens and people go like, well, 150 million years. You're like, well, hold on, hotshot. Where'd you get 150 million from? And how, and how did you get so accurate at counting millions of years, as Francis would say? <laughs> if you put a chicken in the front yard and you put him in a cage and you left him there and came back in 100 million years, you know what you would have. A chicken. <laughs> There's been no evolution in the honeycomb. <laughs> That's one of my favorite Brother Francisisms when he talks about the bees. Well, how come the bees have not progressed? <laughs> Why did the bees stop at five sides? Why didn't they go to six? Why wasn't there an improved honeycomb? Uh, nature is what it is. So I, I encourage all of you. You can go to newpolity.com. And read Technological Security as a Problem of Social Ethics from Joseph Ratzinger. And you can go to Catholicism.org. And do you have a title on brother Brother's piece about scientism? It's just called, called The Danger of Scientism. Uh, brother, are you still there? I believe that we. No, he's we,
1: still- I, it, I don't know what's happening, Mike, but we should probably uh, bring this to up. a close. Okay, let's got, wrap up. Uh, All right,
0: what's on tonight's episode of Reconquest? And Maggie will find out what the Brother Francis' essay is and put the link in the chat room and in today's show notes. Uh, so have it at crusadechannel.com and crusadechannel.com chat.
1: If you go to catholicism.org and look for The Dangers of Scientism, you'll find it right okay. away because okay. of our really good search engine. Um so tonight on tonight on uh, Reconquest we have episode three sixty one whether God exists the five proofs. So I go through St Thomas's five proofs.
0: Fantastic. We'll look forward to that, and uh, we'll let you back to your schoolmastering uh, duties and headmastering duties and all the other work that you do there, brother. Thank you very much. God bless you, and we shall talk soon.
1: All right, Mike. God bless you too. Bye bye.
0: All right. So that that'll wrap up Wisdom Wednesday.